Tale six of the story of King Arthur. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mendel Hastings. The Story of King Arthur in Twelve Tales by Winona Carolyn Martin. Tale six Tristram the Forest Knight. Tristan, rise. Were your sins great as heaven? Yet your love, being greater still, should burn your guilt away. Lauriston Ward's Tristan in Brittany When Arthur reigned in Britain, there were many minor kings who, though they were allowed to rule over their own countries, nevertheless paid him yearly homage, and these men had frequent quarrels among themselves. One of these disputes arose between King Anguish of Ireland and King Mark of Cornwall about some tribute money which, according to the people of Ireland, should have been paid every year, but which the people of Cornwall had now refused seven times. King Anguish, therefore, sent a messenger to King Mark demanding the payment of the gold, by whom Mark returned the answer that if Anguish desired the money, he must send a champion to fight for it. Not long after this, therefore, there arrived at Tintagel Castle the home of Mark, a valiant man of arms, Sir Marhaus, brother to the Queen of Ireland, and one of the knights of King Arthur's round table. Now that was a condition that Mark had scarcely expected, for despite his bluster he was a craven at heart, as were, in fact, all the knights of his court, so that they had become known far and wide as the cowardly knights of Cornwall. It was with a trembling spirit, therefore, that he heard the trumpets blown each day at noon, announcing to all the countryside that Sir Marhaus of Arthur's Round Table was challenging any gentleman of Cornwall to meet him in single combat as King Mark's champion for the tribute money. Day after day the call went forth, and day after day there was no response, for those dastardly Cornish knights had hidden themselves away in their strong towers, and the king himself would rather have submitted to any humiliation than put his own precious life in jeopardy. But at last one morning, when the story of King Mark's predicament had spread to distant lands, there appeared before the harassed monarch a young man, tall of stature and of fair countenance, who made the following request. Sir King, I am as yet but a squire, although well versed in the use of arms. If you will make me knight, I will promise to serve you faithfully all the days of my life, and to go forth upon whatever quest you may see fit to send me. Hearing these words, the king's eyes gleamed with a crafty light, for what he lacked in prowess he made up in cunning, so that he was known as Mark the Fox. Then he replied, Young man, if you will promise to fight the first battle I assign you, I will make you knight on the spot. To which the youth answered, Willingly, sire the first and the last and all others that may come between then he knelt and placing his hand in his sovereigns received three strokes with the flat of the king's sword and took the holy vow of knighthood which bound him in loyalty to mark for all time after which he arose saying eagerly and now with whom shall i do battle sir king your first fight replied mark shall be as my champion for the tribute money against sir marhaus of ireland let it be so proclaimed cried the young man joyfully brandishing his sword but when sir marhaus received the news which he had long since ceased to expect that a champion had been found for cornwall he returned the following answer 
I will fight with no man that is not of royal blood, son of a king or a queen. Now Mark understood full well by this that his enemy was trying to draw him personally into the combat, and his heart sank within him. In great distress, therefore, he sent for his newly made knight and explained the situation to him, whereupon the brave young man replied, Sire, I pray you, give yourself no anxiety. I had hoped to keep my identity a secret until I had proved myself, but now I will tell you all. I am the son of your sister Elizabeth, and of King Meliodas of Lyonus. They call me the Forest Knight, because I was born in the deep, dark woods where my mother had wandered in search of my father when he had been enticed away by the wiles of a wicked enchantress. As you know, she died there before finding him. But with her last breath, as she entrusted me to the care of a faithful lady-in-waiting, she named me Tristram, the Child of Sorrow. Thus, you see, I have never known a mother's love. Nevertheless, my father has had me carefully trained in the manly sports of harping, hunting, and hawking, as well as in the more serious art of the joust and the tourney. Therefore, hearing that my mother's country was being shamed for lack of a champion, I came to present myself, and Sir Marhouse need have no fear, for my rank is higher than his. Then the king's foxy old heart rejoiced, and arrangements were made for the combat to take place on an island near which the ships of the Irish knight were anchored. On the day appointed, therefore, the two champions, each on horseback, set their spears in rest and crashed together with such a mighty shock that both were thrown to the ground. Then they drew their swords, and throwing their shields before them, fought on and on for more than half a day until both were severely wounded. At last, however, Tristram was able to give his opponent such a stroke that Sir Marhouse's armor was pierced, and the young knight's sword stuck fast so that he had to pull mightily three times before it could be dislodged. Then Marhouse fell to the ground, but recovering himself, threw away his sword and shield and fled for his life to his ships. Thus was the honor of Cornwall saved. For Sir Marhouse, having failed in his mission, set sail at once for Ireland to be cared for by his sister, the Queen, who was well versed in the art of healing. When his wound was probed, however, a small jagged piece of the steel of Tristram's sword was found therein, which the Queen, realizing that she was going to be unable with all her skill to save her brother, put carefully away, vowing that in revenge she would take the life of the man into whose weapon it fitted, should he ever cross her path. Soon after this, Sir Marhaus died. Now when Tristram returned to the mainland victorious, great was the rejoicing, and loud were the praises of the people for their valiant young champion. So loud, indeed, that King Mark's jealousy was aroused, and he began to fear his nephew as a possible rival to the throne. It was with secret joy, therefore, that he realized how seriously the young knight had been wounded, for it was found that Sir Marhaus, contrary to all the laws of knighthood, had used a poisoned spear. So Tristram lay ill for a month or more, and all the skill of surgeons and leeches was of little avail, until one day there came to court a lady who gave the following advice. Let the young knight go to the land from which the deadly poison came. There he may be helped, but nowhere else. At this the king was secretly delighted, for he thought to himself, If Tristram goes to Ireland, the queen, whose brother he slew, will see to it that he never escapes alive. 
but aloud he said make ready my ships for so help me i would not that my beloved nephew died so when all was prepared tristram in the care of his trusting servant governail sailed away followed by the good wishes of every man and woman in cornwall save his own uncle who sincerely hoped never to see him set foot on those shores again during the crossing tristram who was too weak to do much else had ample time to think over the situation in which he was soon to find himself and he came to realize that if his true name were known he would scarcely be a welcome guest at the irish court he therefore decided to present himself as a strolling minstrel called tramtrist of lioness who had been accidentally wounded in battle now during some years that he had spent in france tristram had become a very skilled harper so that when king anguish heard him play he was greatly pleased with the performance and said sir tramtrist you are very welcome at our court and to the care of our leeches and of the queen who is the most skilful of them all in the healing of wounds then when you are stronger we should count it an honour if you would consent to give our daughter the princess isolda lessons in harping so tristram remained receiving the ministrations of the queen and acting as tutor to the beautiful isolda and so charmed did he become with this latter occupation that he very soon lost all desire to return either to his father's kingdom of lioness or to his uncle's court in cornwall in fact he was now beginning to dread the time when his wound would be completely healed he had not been long however in these intimate relations with his pupil before he discovered that she was strangely sad for one so young and apparently so free from care one evening therefore when the twilight had overtaken them in the midst of a lesson and she sat with her golden head leaning against her harp while her white fingers idly swept the strings calling forth from time to time a low and plaintive strain tristram leaned forward and asked gently princess will you tell me why it is that you are never merry like other maidens then the beautiful isolda sighed and bent her head still lower presently she said ah sir tramtrist the lot of a king's daughter may seem to other maidens one to be envied but i assure you that it is hard very hard indeed and why so hard princess inquired the young man she hesitated for a moment then she said sir tramtrist i will tell you all my father has an enemy a mighty saracen knight called palamedes of whom our whole kingdom is in dread he has sued for my hand therefore my father in the forlorn hope that some brave man may be found to overcome him has proclaimed a great joust and tournament in which any knight that pleases may take part and for the winning of which i am the prize you can well understand then why i am sad for i know full well that no gentleman of ireland is able to stand against this mighty saracen so i shall be given to him to save my country from ruin and carried far away into a heathen land princess cried sir tristram leaping to his feet that shall never be i will fight in this tournament and rest assured the love i bear you will so strengthen my arm that i will overthrow this man though his natural strength be ten times greater than mine but isolda only sighed shaking her head and replied i wish oh i wish my teacher that it might be so but i fear it would never be permitted for you are but a wandering minstrel and palamedes's rank is very high besides your wound is not yet healed then the young man drew himself to his full height as he said 
as for my wound fair princess it no longer troubles me and as for my rank i will tell you a part of my secret though i dare not as yet tell you all i am in truth a king's son worthy to be matched in battle with any man that lives so i will gladly risk my life in this cause but i ask you not to let it be known beforehand that i am to take part in this contest thus it was arranged between them the great day of the joust arrived the mighty palamedes rode proudly into the field on his black war-horse bearing before him an enormous black shield there on the first day of the tournament he overthrew every knight that dared to come before him until all the people marvelled at such feats of prowess then he retired to return to the lists the following morning more certain than ever if that were possible that the fair prize would soon be his riding to the centre of the field therefore he flourished his sword calling loudly for any man who would dare continue the contest for a moment there was an ominous silence then suddenly the postern gate of the castle swung wide and there rode forth upon a white horse a knight in snow-white armour straight toward palamedes he came who instantly put his spear in rest and the two crashed together so that the scene appeared to the breathless onlookers like a deadly struggle between the powers of light and the powers of darkness long and hard was the combat but at last the black knight was thrown to earth crying i yield then tristram standing over him with his sword upraised said sternly promise me as you value your life that you will give up all claim to the hand of the princess isolda that you will leave ireland for ever in peace and that for a year and a day you will bear no arms in any christian country to all of which palamedes replied i promise alas i am shamed for ever after which tristram allowed him to rise then he himself rode back to the postern gate where isolda was waiting his coming with a strange new light of joy on her face and now there followed happy days for tristram the child of sorrow and for isolda the princess from whose life the shadow of a dreaded doom seemed forever lifted the king and the queen cherished their brave young champion as if he had been their own son and despite the mystery in which his birth was still enshrouded they were willing to agree to a union between him and the princess for they felt sure that he spoke the truth when he said that royal blood ran in his veins so the preparations for the wedding progressed and each morning tristram arose with the intention of telling his kind host the whole story and each day his courage failed him one afternoon he had gone out carelessly leaving his sword behind him in the room where the queen and the princess with their maidens were busy upon the wedding garments isolda having bent over an embroidery frame until she was weary rose and stepped across the room till she stood by the table where the brand lay it was a beautiful weapon with a bejeweled hilt and the princess thinking proudly of all the valiant deeds in which it had figured drew it curiously from its scabbard suddenly she exclaimed why mother there is a piece broken out from the edge i wonder in what wonderful feat of prowess that happened at those words so carelessly spoken the queen dropping her work had sprung to her feet let me see she cried almost snatching the sword from her daughter's hand then to isolda's surprise she rushed toward a box where she had secretly hidden the bit of steel that she had taken from her brother's wound and with trembling fingers fitted it exactly into the gap 
at last at last she exclaimed triumphantly i have found him the foul knight who slew your uncle and he shall die he shall die according to my vow not even the snowy wedding-gown that had fallen to the ground in the excitement was as white as isolde's face when she heard those words for she knew well enough how cruel her mother could be toward an enemy in another moment therefore she had rushed from the room in search of her father in whose kindliness of disposition was her only hope for the salvation of her lover my child said he gently my poor little girl i will do all that lies in my power to save your knight from your mother's wrath for i am convinced that though he slew your uncle he did so in honourable combat he should have told us the whole truth when he came among us i admit nevertheless i will see to it that he is permitted to leave our shores in safety but he must bid farewell to you for ever for now you can never become his wife so that very day the parting came between tristram and the beautiful isolde who was so soon to have been his bride i leave you free my princess he said but for my part i will take upon myself such a vow as is made by the noble knights of arthur's court to love you only through all the days of my life and to worship you by years of noble deeds though i may never win you farewell and remember if ever you are in need of a champion to do battle for you i will come though it be from the ends of the earth so he sailed away time went on tristram much to the secret annoyance of king mark returned to cornwall where his brave deeds caused him more and more to be admired and loved by his uncle's people so that the old fox never ceased to ponder upon some method that should appear entirely accidental of ridding himself of this troublesome nephew one day in early spring when mark's knights were feasting and making merry about a lavish board it chanced that the air being warm a window was open facing the western sea through this window there presently flew a swallow carrying in its bill a hair of most brilliant gold which it deposited on the arm of the king's chair after which it immediately fluttered out into the sunshine again by my life exclaimed the fox i should like to see the maiden from whose head this came can any of you tell me where she may be found then the beautiful shining thing was passed from one knight to the other and each in turn shook his head until it came to tristram who as the king noticed had turned very pale glad would he have been to remain silent but mark turning the attention of the whole table to him inquired maliciously nephew you appear to have some knowledge of this matter can you by any chance inform us whence this thread of gold came then tristram who would have scorned to tell a lie answered reluctantly sire i can we await your information said the king and still more slowly and reluctantly came the words from tristram's white lips such hair as that sire belongs to but one woman in all the world the beautiful isolde princess of ireland at that the old fox's heart rejoiced for he now felt sure that he had hit upon a plan that could scarcely fail to bring sorrow and possibly destruction to his nephew my noble knights said he it has suddenly become the desire of my heart to wed the maiden to whom this glorious hair belongs how many of you are willing to go for me to the court of king anguish and bear my request for her hand 
thereupon there followed a scene that would have acquainted a stranger with a fact even had he learned it no other way that he was not at arthur's court for each of those cowardly cornish knights began to fumble with the fastening of his sword hoping that his neighbor would have his drawn first to this unknightly conduct however just as king mark had expected there was one exception tristram's brand had leapt from its scabbard as if of its own volition and was now being held aloft while his voice rang out clear and strong the quest sir king at which mark smiled his crafty smile and answered you are willing to do even this for me nephew then tristram true knight that he was although he knew in what peril of his life he would find himself as soon as he landed on irish shores and although he realized that death would be as nothing to him compared with the pain of succeeding in his mission remembered his vow and answered bravely sire i am so within a few days tristram set sail for ireland a second time disguised on this occasion as a merchant selling costly silks and samites and certainly fortune seemed after all to favor him for he chanced to arrive at a time when the whole country was in great fear because of a terrible dragon that was devastating the land once again therefore when he looked into the beautiful face of isolda to whose presence he gained admission under the pretense of selling his wares he saw that she was sad and he soon learned that this time the king had promised her hand to whoever would kill the frightful monster nothing daunted therefore he set out one bright morning for the forest where the dreaded beast was supposed to have his lair there in the deepest shade of the oldest tree he found him at last with his great scaly body twisted about one of the mighty trunks at the young knight's approach the ugly head shot forth and the immense jaws snapped open with the evident intention of closing again immediately upon the intruder but instead of that it was tristram's good sword upon which the tusks came together and in a short time with a terrible hiss and a tremendous crash the monster fell to the ground and lay motionless for a moment tristram still breathing hard from the struggle stood looking down upon his prostrate foe then realizing that he had no proof of having performed the feat he drew his brand and cut out the creature's tongue after which he started on his way back to the palace he had not gone far however when a strange faintness overcame him and a little later he fell senseless by a spring where he had gone to seek a cooling draught for the truth was that the tongue which he had wrapped in his garments contained a deadly poison now there was at the court of king anguish a cowardly steward who had long cherished a dream of advancement by marriage with the princess but who was far too much of a craven to fight either man or beast on her behalf as fate would have it therefore it happened that this man wandering through the forest came accidentally upon the body of the dragon whose head he valiantly cut off after which he presented himself before the king as the hero who had delivered ireland but neither king nor queen nor princess believed his story and a search party was therefore sent out to make investigations after a day or two this party returned carrying the unconscious form of the merchant which they had come across in their wanderings while there was still no proof the king and the whole court soon became convinced that this stranger was the true hero and although in nursing him back to health the queen soon recognized him as tristram of cornwall 
the slayer of her brother she was nevertheless prevailed upon by the entreaties of both husband and daughter to forego her revenge and spare the young man's life at last the great day came when the court had assembled to witness the awarding of isolde's hand to him who had killed the dragon and as all had expected the steward was the first to step forward to claim the fair prize what proof have you demanded the king with a sinking heart sire this head replied the steward displaying the ghastly trophy then tristram who had been standing quietly in the background now made his way to the front and cried aloud your majesty he speaks falsely bid your men i pray you open the monster's jaws they will find no tongue therein the men did as they were bidden and whereupon tristram's serving-man stepped forward bearing the ugly forked tongue and fitted it exactly into the beast's mouth then all the people shouted for joy for they had loved this young knight in the old days and even the queen's heart was softened toward him so as the ladies and gentlemen of the court stood circling about the throne and the beautiful isolde sat by the side of her parents with flushed cheeks and lowered eyes the king arose to make the proclamation which would so have gladdened the heart of tristram had his mission been other than it was sir knight you have once again proved yourself the savior of our beloved land of ireland the hand of the princess is therefore yours do you claim the prize the blush upon isolde's cheeks had deepened and her head was bent still lower as she waited with beating heart for the reply of her hero who had now risked his life for her a second time presently as if from some great distance in a harsh strained voice that she could scarcely believe to be that of her old tutors these words reached her ears sire i claim the hand of the princess isolde for my uncle king mark of cornwall who has sent me here to seek her as his bride there was silence swiftly through the mind of both king and queen there passed the same thought this marriage would be an advantage to the country and would settle forever as no fighting could do the vexed question of the tribute money presently turning toward his daughter therefore king english said isolde the honor done you is greater than we had supposed a king will make a better husband for you than an ordinary knight which words were echoed by the queen ah yes a king will make a better husband than an ordinary knight then the princess rising in her place turned flashing eyes of scorn upon king mark's emissary and answered with profoundly lifted head certainly a king will make a better husband for me than an ordinary knight whereupon tristram the deathly pallor of whose face now matched her own bowed low and retired to make his preparations for the departure within a few days the little ship bearing king mark's unwilling bride to tintagel castle was tossing upon the waves of the irish sea all during the strange journey tristram loyal as ever to his uncle had kept himself apart from the princess whose anger was so kindled at his apparently inexplicable conduct that she in her turn had made no attempt to communicate with him in any way and now the end so dreaded by both was drawing near it happened however that the queen fearing that after all her daughter's heart was still with the young knight and being concerned despite her ambition for the maiden's happiness had used all her art in preparing a magic love potion 
which she had entrusted to the care of Isolde's maid with strict injunctions that it should be given to the princess when she and Mark were alone together, so that the maiden's eyes should rest upon her future husband at the moment of drinking. But it also happened that Isolde too had brewed a potion which was a deadly draught, the swallowing of which would result in instant death. Now as the turrets of Tintagel Castle began to loom out of the mist, the princess turned suddenly to her maid with the command, Bring me the small flask that lies upon my table. But the faithful maid, having caught the desperate look in Isolde's eyes, suspected the truth, and with the wild hope of saving her young mistress, substituted the queen's filter for the one for which the princess was calling. Hastily, Isolde took the cup from the girl's hand, and turning so that her dying eyes might rest upon her hero, who was standing in the prow of the boat, gazing sadly toward the fast-approaching Cornish shore, raised it to her lips. Instantly, as if in some mystic way he knew what was happening, Tristram turned and beheld what he believed to be the maiden's desperate deed. In another moment he had reached her side, snatched the fateful goblet from her shaking fingers, and drained the liquid that she had left to the last drop. Then, as the glass dropped from his hand, the pair of ill-starred lovers stood looking into each other's eyes, awaiting death. One, two, three long minutes passed while the draft was taking its unexpected effect, for, instead of the chill of death, there began to sweep through their veins a wonderful tingle of life and happiness beyond all that their imagination could have conceived. Suddenly, realizing at last what had happened and knowing that they now loved each other ten times more than ever the cry burst simultaneously from their lips tristram isolda and at that moment the ship's keel ground upon the beach then slowly and painfully the memory of things as they were returned to them and tristram reverently taking isolda's white hand in his said gently princess the honor of my knighthood binds me to fulfill in letter and in spirit any mission upon which I am sent by him who made me knight. If I failed in this, I should not be worthy of you. Within a few moments, therefore, I shall deliver you into the keeping of King Mark, as whose honored queen I pray you may find happiness. After that I shall ride away and seek adventure as a brave knight should. But once again at this, our second parting, I repeat the promise that I made you long ago, to love you only through all the days of my life, and to worship you by years of noble deeds, though I may never hope to win you. Farewell, and remember that, should you ever need a champion, I will come. Again the weary years crept on, and Queen Isolde lived a sad and lonely life in her high tower of Tintagel Castle, looking out upon the Irish Sea. For King Mark proved no kinder as a husband than he had proved as an uncle. In fact, his sole reason for seeking the Irish princess in marriage had been to cause pain to his nephew and drive him from Cornwall. From time to time news reached Tintagel of the brave deeds done at Arthur's court by a knight that had lately come there, a certain Sir Tristram of Lyonis, whose reputation for prowess was fast becoming almost as great as the mighty Launcelot's. Then Queen Isolde's sad heart beat with pride, for she knew that her champion was being true to his vow. King Mark, however, was beloved neither by his own people nor by the monarchs of neighboring lands, 
so it happened that his troubles with ireland were not the only difficulties in which he managed to get himself entangled when he and isolde had been married some years therefore it chanced that tintagel castle was besieged by the saxons under a captain named elias who was a good man of arms as usual when the challenge came to single combat mark refused to risk his own life as did all the cowardly knights of cornwall at last one of them made the following valiant suggestion sire send to arthur's court for a champion for he has promised as is well known to drive the heathen from the land accordingly one day when arthur's court was in session at camelot there arrived a messenger from king mark the moment the man had ceased speaking after presenting his plea every sword in the hall was pointed upward while the cry so often heard within those walls rang out strong and clear the quest sir king arthur looked about among that goodly fellowship until his eye rested upon tristram whose relation to the cornish king was known to him then with an inclination of the head he assigned to him the quest so tristram rejoicing that once again he was to have an opportunity of serving isolde rode away to cornwall with a gladder heart than he had known in many a day there in single combat he met elias and overthrew him while mark and his valiant knights remained bravely behind the sheltering walls of the castle but so helpless is man to escape his doom although tristram came forth from the encounter unharmed a stray arrow shot at random by one of the saxon soldiers hit king mark so that he died soon after of the wound then the people of cornwall in whose hearts tristram had always lived as a hero proclaimed him king in his uncle's stead and the beautiful isolde after the long years of their separation became his wife when the wedding ceremonies were at an end the newly made monarch set out for arthur's court to pay homage and to present his bride and when they reached camelot it was discovered that the siege which had formerly belonged to sir marhaus the man who had disgraced his knighthood by using a poisoned spear bore a new inscription in letters of shining gold this is the seat of the noble knight sir tristram End of Tale 6